Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for blessing us uh, with that song at the end there. It is well, it is well with my soul. That is a uh, tremendous truth that uh, stood well for Horatio Spafford so many years ago, and it stands well for us today. No difference whatsoever. The same peace that uh, God by His Spirit gives uh, back then, He gives today as well. So uh, that's a blessing. Thank you for um, sharing that with us. Uh, welcome to Doug and Jenny. Doug and Jenny haven't been with us for nearly five weeks or so. So, guys, welcome back from your holiday. From we've missed them every time they normally sit there behind us. They're not there again this week and the next week. So, good to have you guys back with us. Yeah, I reckon it would be too. We're a great bunch of people, aren't we, Doug? Oh, good. Thanks, mate. That was the right answer too, actually. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to um, fix that up. Right, we're uh, starting a new series uh, this um, today and for the next few weeks. We're going to uh, talk about uh, the third person of the Trinity, not so much in order of preference, but uh, God the Holy Spirit we're going to talk about over these next uh, few weeks. Um, who's familiar with the Star Wars films? I'm sure everybody's probably here. will go, Barbara, she's so fired up, both hands are going up to acknowledge that one. <laughs> um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a... Jedi Knight, there's a, there's a few people there coming through. It's a Jedi Knight, and a phrase he often said through the movie uh, when he was alive, that was in the very first one back in 1977, may the, may the force be with you. What was that? Oh, that's it. <laughs> that was the right voice and everything. That's it, yeah. May the force be with you. It was like some impersonable, impersonal, invisible power that guided you and strengthened you, particularly for Luke Skywalker and all the battles he was about to go in. And as a boy, for some reason, it always reminded me of God the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe that's not a real good connection to make, but when you're a boy about sort of, what was I back then, 11, I think, when that movie came out. Now you're doing all the mental calculations to work out how old I am. Yes, I am 51. 51, yeah, that's right. I did the calculation myself. (laughs) Maybe not a good connection to make, but it always reminded me of sort of God the Holy Spirit, this sort of force that you couldn't see that guided and strengthened and um, was there for Luke Skywalker in all of his battles to come. And so today we want to look at this, not may the force be with you, but God's Holy Spirit, the omnipotent force of the universe here. And we're going to go to John chapter 3 and uh, verse 1 to 15. You're already saying, didn't we finish the book of John a couple of weeks ago? Well, we're going to go back and look at it again, just this one here to help us out as we see uh, this work of the Holy Spirit, particularly in regeneration or the new birth. Verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, Father, thank you today that we can come again and gather around your word. Thank you today for this uh, portion of scripture in John chapter 3. Uh, Lord, I ask and pray now that your Holy Spirit would come and uh, give us eyes to see here this glorious and magnificent truth of the new birth, of this miracle that you perform in our lives in revealing Christ into our dead and darkened hearts. Uh, please help us now, we pray, Holy Spirit. We ask this for uh, Jesus' name and his glory. Amen. Uh, how do we perceive God to be? I think this is a very basic question that often people have about God, is what does he look like? What is our perception of God? And particularly as a child, you might, how, what does God look like is sort of a question that can come. And I can understand that because in our human perceptions, much of our identity comes from looks. That's how we sort of identify something with is what does it look like? And even today's technology, you can have face recognition for some entry into security places. They actually look at your face and recognise it and here it is. So sometimes we, uh, we have this thought, well, what does he look like? What does God look like? Well, the Bible tells us that God is spirit. In John chapter 4, he says this in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, this isn't to say that God isn't a physical being as well. Uh, We also know that God is physical in the sense of Jesus Christ, the son who came to this earth 2,000 years ago. In fact, God can be anything he wants to be. There is no limitation upon God whatsoever. Uh, as Solomon said to us uh, back in the Old Testament, God is so big and so huge that not even the heavens and the highest heavens can contain him. God is not limited in any way at all. But today in the context of the world that we live in and the world that God's created for us, we understand that God is present with us by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think in Christian circles and maybe even within this church here as well, I don't think we fully get or understand the Holy Spirit and who he is, the third person of the Trinity. Francis Chan wrote this book a little while ago called The Forgotten God for this very reason. He felt like in his own life that he had neglected the work of the Holy Spirit. He just sort of felt like he pushed the Holy Spirit sort of to the back of his mind and really wasn't sure about him at all. And I think sometimes it can be like that for us. We can seem to know much about Jesus much about God the Father, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we seem to be a bit unsure here of what happens or how this works or what he does. Sometimes we get this sort of ooky spooky feeling about the Holy Spirit, like he's some sort of ghost that we sense the Old Testament, the King James Version Bible calling the Holy Ghost. Um, He's sort of floating around out there and we don't really get a grasp of who it is or or what he does or how he operates. So we just sort of leave it alone. That's one sense. And on on the other hand, because of the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit in which he chooses to move as he wills in various ways, and sometimes in this the Holy Spirit moves in unusual ways which doesn't line up with our thinking or our perceptions of God the Holy Spirit. And then when that happens, we can also get a bit gun-shy of the work of the Spirit. We sort of just, I'm not so sure what's going on here. We We may believe that the Spirit only works in certain ways. So anything outside of our perceived operation of the Spirit... God's Spirit makes us sceptical, 
So therefore, we sort of shut down our thoughts about God's spirit or push to the back of our mind. Or in other ways, we may have seen excesses of some people in their belief of the Holy Spirit, that he has told them or guided them to do certain things. And they sort of say this in a very authoritative manner. And some of these excesses are quite extreme. I've witnessed some people down on all fours barking at each other like dogs. And they were saying the Spirit was leading me or guiding me to do that. And that's a pretty extreme excess. But I have experienced that before. And certainly with that type of extreme behaviour, which I believe isn't really influenced by the Spirit at all, that type of experience can also lead us to push the work of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit to the back of our minds and really sort of just think, I just don't get this at all, I don't understand it. So we tend to shut down somewhat the work of God's Spirit. He easily then then becomes the forgotten God, as Francis Chan wrote that book. The Holy Spirit is the animating and empowering presence of God that gives life to this world. Psalm 104 verse 30 says this, When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. This is a verse from uh, Psalm 104. It's a creation psalm talking about God and his creative powers. And the whole picture here is God through creation giving life to animal life through God the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That's a really big truth to take in when we think about the vastness and the enormity of this world. From the tiniest, smallest microorganism that is just too small for us to see with the naked eye that you need a microscope to see, or right up to the largest animal that exists on this earth, which is a blue whale, which is like 30 metres long, that is a huge animal. All of these organisms, animals, whatever you want to call them, receive their power to exist through God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually gives them breath and life and enables them to exist. And it's no different for us as human beings as well. Every person on this planet only exists because of the Spirit's uh, will to give them breath and to give them life. Job 34, 14, 15 says this, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. That's massive as well. God's Spirit gives breath and life to every single person upon this planet, even to people like Kim Jong-un, the evil dictator of North Korea. Now, in God's sovereignty, we can't understand why he gives him breath, but we would love to see Kim Jong-un become a follower of Jesus. That's really what the heart's cry of every believer should be. But God's Spirit gives breath to every single person. And if the Spirit decided to withdraw from the planet, as we see in that verse there, everything would perish. The earth would become a barren wasteland. As we think about this work of God's Spirit, we would call this a general or common work that all of mankind experience. Whether it's the 40 or 50 of us sitting here today, or it's the 40,000 people gathered around us in Greater Shepherd, they are experiencing God's Spirit in their life in the fact that they can breathe and they can exist. A general common work. And when I say general or common, that's not to demean it. It's still a massive work that God does in uh, causing this planet to exist as it does. But today we want to think about the special works that God's Spirit does throughout the world. And this work, namely, is that he does in revealing Jesus into the hearts and lives of people. And then in this ongoing work of changing these people into the image of Jesus Christ. As much as the Spirit gives life to humanity in this world, it also gives new and fuller life 
to those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a whole new level of life. We might know this new life or this fuller life to be called being born again or regeneration is another way to describe it. To be born again or to be regenerated. Now you may have heard of this term born again or you may not have heard of that term born again or you may wonder what does this born again mean? I knew of one guy who often spoke about it. He would often say, I'm born again, brother. Brother, I'm born again. Sometimes he said that in the company of people who weren't Christians, and I could just sort of see them, what is he on about? You see these strange looks come across his face. Sometimes we don't really know what that is. So we want to look at this work here that the Holy Spirit does in this uh, sense of the initial work through being born again or regenerated, this special work God's Spirit does to us uh, at the revealing of Jesus Christ in our lives. What we have to see about the Spirit's work here in being born again or regenerated is that it's a work that only God's Spirit can do in our lives. We can't make ourselves to be born again. It's just not within us to be born again in that way. Nicodemus here begins to come to Jesus in the middle of the light and he says this in verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. wonder why he's come. Not really sure here, but maybe he's just starting to inquire about who is this Jesus guy. There's something special about him. Jesus responds, perhaps with a shocking reply. It seems totally left field for where Nicodemus is actually going. Jesus responds in verse 3 and says this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why is this a shocking reply, perhaps, for Nicodemus? Well, as far as Nicodemus is concerned, he's in the kingdom of God. He's in. He's not sort of looking for sort of some, well, how do I get into the kingdom of God? He's not thinking about that at all. By birthright of being a Jew, he would, be, he would believe he was in God's kingdom. By being a teacher of the law and supposedly one who practiced the law so faithfully and so well, he would think, I am well and truly in. There's no question about me not being in God's kingdom. So Nicodemus starts his conversation with Jesus. We recognise you're a teacher of God. And Jesus responds, Nicodemus, you need to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. I think Nicodemus would find that a bit affronting, given where he's come from. A shocking response. Jesus is basically saying to him that you don't earn your way into heaven. You don't earn your way into the kingdom of God. You don't keep a series of rules and do a whole heap of good things to get yourself to heaven, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, religion doesn't get you into heaven. Nicodemus, turning up to the synagogue every Saturday will not get you into heaven. Good moral living won't get you in. Because if religion or good moral living got you on the good side of God, Nicodemus was in. He was in if that was the case. Jesus would have said to him, keep it up, Nicodemus. You're doing fine, mate. You keep turning up a synagogue on the Sabbath and you keep following those rules and you're right on track and you'll get there. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, you need to be born again, Nicodemus. And at this stage, Nicodemus doesn't get it. He's not thinking the way Jesus is thinking at this stage. In verse 4, he's starting to actually sort of think what's going on here. He's thinking more of a purely physical dimension and not really understanding what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Jesus... Do I have to climb back into my mother's womb and go through that whole nine-month process again and come out? He's just not getting it at all, this grasp here of what being born again is. 
Jesus strips religion and all of good works away with that very next statement he says in verse 5. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus ultimately declares that to enter the kingdom of heaven, the Spirit of God must do a work in you. You can't enter on your own strength or following your own path. And really this whole picture that Jesus gives here speaks to that, doesn't it? Really, what part did you or I play in our own physical birth? The simple answer is nothing. We weren't directing the medical staff or in the birthing suite. We just come into the world. We had no real part to play at all. Jesus says this is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit that he alone does. And he does it when we are unable to do it ourselves. We can't see it or we can't explain it, exactly what the Spirit does. But the Spirit comes and reveals Christ to us. And Jesus says this in verses 6 to 8. That which is born of flesh is flesh. We understand that. And that which is born of the Spirit is a spirit work. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a supernatural work that God's Spirit does within us. It's like the wind. We can't see where it originates from. The weather map might try and tell us where it's coming from, but we can't see it physically with our eyes. And we don't know where it's going to finish. And we can't see the direction it's really travelling in without other indicators, as in leaves on trees sort of showing us. The wind on itself, we can't see what it's doing. So it is, Jesus says, with the Holy Spirit in this new birth, the operation is mysterious to us. It's mysterious. The Holy Spirit miraculously and graciously works in us when we are unable to work in ourselves in this new birth process. And we can't sort of put our heads around, how does this all come together? But one thing we can say, one thing we can say here about the Spirit's work, that it is experienced. We do experience God's work upon us. We can't physically see when the Spirit has come upon us and doing this work of renewal life, but we can experience his work. And this is a really, really vital and important question. We have to get a grasp of this. Because some people really get tied up in knots over this experience of the Spirit's work in their lives. They can get so confused at times that doubts can overwhelm them. Has God's Spirit done a work in me or has he not? What am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to expect in all, through all this? And sometimes Satan will come in there with a field day in weakening us with all these doubts and concerns about what's happened here with this experience. We can experience God's work upon us. For some people, the work of the Holy Spirit and being born again is really like a night and day experience. It truly is. It's like it's gone from night to day, like someone has switched on the lights. It's dramatic. For them, they can have a massive transformation experience. They can have a deep conviction of sin that will bring on them an incredibly remorseful sorrow of tears and brokenness as they consider their lives before God. It can be very dramatic and very, very heartfelt. Their sin comes up before them and they are filled with shame, filled with really, really deep conviction. But in this spirit and give it work, 
at the same time, they have a new sense, an absolute new sense of God's forgiveness and the reality of the presence of God in them. It's like they know that they know that they know that they know God has done a work in that because they sense now in a real way God's forgiveness in their lives. It's like somebody truly has turned the lights on and not just a little flashlight, but like literally a floodlight. It can be a very dramatic and very real experience. Sometimes you'll see that type of conversion or that type of experience from people who've had a very full-on life of perhaps sexual promiscuity or hardcore partying. They have really got out into the world and they've experienced probably the worst side of the world you could probably imagine. They've done life in the fast and the harsh lane. Sometimes those people do have these dramatic night and day experiences where they realise something has happened to me. I've experienced something and it can be very dramatic. Other experiences of the Holy Spirit may not be as vivid or dramatic as those ones. For some people, there isn't a fireworks explosions experience that sort of happened where I can have this dramatic uh, renewing upon my heart. Some experiences of God's Spirit, when He works in their heart through the new birth, can be just slow and gradual. Millimetre by millimetre. Bit by bit. One step after another step, it can be just very slow and very gradual. It's like a flower that slowly unfolds over a period of time as God's Spirit works in our heart. It's just like little bit by little bit, the Holy Spirit continues to open up a heart and a mind to see more and more of Christ. It's not this really lights, camera, action, shabam, it all takes place. It's just a slow drip feed. It just happens over a long period of time. And maybe in this case, these ones might tend to come from perhaps a Christian home. They might be immersed in Christianity all of their life, born and raised in a Christian home. And they haven't been out in the world to experience a whole heap of painful memories. But week upon week, there's like a slow awakening that just takes place in their heart. And sometimes they can't even look back and sort of pinpoint a specific time or whatnot. That can be the experience for some people with the Holy Spirit through the new birth. It's happened somewhere, but they can't sort of have this dramatic experience here. I can just write that day, that date, on that year. That's how it is sometimes. My experience was probably more like the slow, gradual awakening. Not some sort of, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am experience. Now, sometimes I used to hear these fantastic testimonies of these people who were saved. It was like night and day. And I used to sit there and think, oh, gee, I wish I had a testimony like that. I just wish I could, you know, have that same experience they had. God didn't give me that experience. It was just a slow, gradual experience. And I praise God for that. It's really important that we don't get hung up on, I should have had that experience or I should have had that one. God works on you the way he chooses to work on you. Just be thankful he's worked on you. If it's, if it's dramatic and it's loud and it's crash bang, that's good. If it's slow and it's bit by bit, that's good. Just be thankful he works. So with whatever type of experience I've had, what am I looking for then to know it is a work of God's spirit? What are the signs of the spirit of God having done a work upon my heart? This maybe is the $64,000 question. Probably with inflation, it should be the $64 million question this day and age when that first question came out many years ago. What is this 
signs of the Spirit that we're looking for. When the God the Spirit comes upon me in this born-again experience, it really is a total uh, change of heart and mind. It's a renewing from top to bottom in the inner person. Uh, In the Old Testament, it's picked up well for us here in Ezekiel Uh, Chapter 11, it says this, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. The heart there is represented as as the very drive centre of who we are as human beings. It's the thing that we don't see, but it's the the drive centre of our mind and our will and our emotions that moves us as people. All these things come together. And here it is being totally renewed, by God's Spirit in this new birth experience. Here's one sign. The way I think is changed. Here's an example. I go to the supermarket or the local shop and I buy a few things. I hand over the $20 to pay for what I've bought and the shop assistant hands me back the change. Put it in my pocket and I pull out a few other things and as I walk out the shop, then I realise I think she's handed me back too much change. My old self says, oh, you beauty, it's a win for me today. But the new self, renewed by God's spirit, with a new heart and a new mind, says, hang on, there's a check in my mind. Actually, she shouldn't have given me that back. She made a mistake. I should go back and give her the extra that she's given back to me. The spirit actually begins to change the way we think. That's one of the signs here that the Spirit has begun to work in me. I am drawn to right or holy living. Old self would have said, you beauty, there's a win. I needed that today. But the new self says, no, that's wrong. She's made a mistake. I'm drawn to holiness. I'm drawn to right living. I'm drawn now and I'm convicted by uh, what's just happened to me. Because of what Jesus has done for me, my mind and my heart has grasped this. And I want to reflect his greatness and his glory in through my life. And I want to do that through right living. And who knows where that leads to? With the shop assistant. You may get a witnessing opportunity out of that. But we're drawn to holy living. That's one sign that God's spirit has done a work on your heart. You previously wouldn't have not thought twice about going back to give that money back to the shop assistant. But now God's spirit has changed you. Another sign is this. You have a newfound love for God. It hasn't been there in the past and you may not ever remember it as a really strong desire. You might have thought about God from time to time. But now God and his person, God and his ways becomes incredibly attractive to you. It becomes beautiful before you. I see the beauty of God in creation. I see the love of God throughout the world. I see the awesome power of God throughout the universe. I see the love of God in sending his son to die for me upon the cross. And I now have a love for God. I have a love for the God of the Bible who's changed my heart. It wasn't there in the past. You didn't give God two thoughts. But now there's like, actually, I think about God. God has a central perspective in my heart and my mind. That wasn't there with my old self. That's a sign there that God's Spirit has done a work in your heart. Another sign is a newfound love for people, particularly those I didn't have time for in the past. Particularly those who really got up my nose. Particularly those who just actually pushed my buttons. Once upon a time, I could easily write them off. Once upon a time, I could plot and plan to make sure they got the raw end of the deal. Once upon a time, I hoped they got what was coming for them. Once upon a time, in my old self, 
I had no respect or no feelings for some people whatsoever. And I could think of nothing better than to see them actually experience a really bad day. That's my old self, perhaps, the way I reflected upon some people. But now God's Spirit has done a work in me. And I have a new perspective on people. And particularly those people who perhaps didn't push my happy buttons previously. I now see people I previously disliked as people who are just like me. They are broken and they are blind. And they need Christ. Now you can't explain that work, but you just know, I never really liked that person at all. But now actually I feel something for that person. Yeah, that will be a sign that God's Spirit has done something within your heart. A newfound love for people. And particularly, perhaps your enemies. They are just some of the signs that God's Spirit has done a work in our heart. Now, these things don't usually happen to us, as you might see in the Listerine app when the guy swallows the stuff and all those explosions go off in his mouth. Those sort of signs don't come off in sort of the really big ways at times. It's more like a quiet working that God does within us. And sometimes you don't pick it up or notice it until you begin to look back and you see how your life has gone over the past three months, six months, 12 months. You don't notice it right at the point in time, but you begin to look back. Well, someone might help to point that out for you. Hey, you've changed. You never really used to like that person over there. But you look back and you can see those signs of God working in and through your heart. How do I receive this experience here of the new birth? Nicodemus probably wasn't looking for it, but I'm sure that may be starting to register in his mind now. What is this entry point for coming into the new birth through God's spirit, into relationship with him. We've just established earlier that we can't do it on our own. We just worked that out. And you can't be born again on your own. And that God must sovereignly come upon us in the Holy Spirit. So what do I do to be born again? Nicodemus asked the very same thing. In verse 9 he says, how can these things be? He's talking to Jesus here and saying, how can these things be? Jesus responded to Nicodemus that he said, you must believe that Jesus is the entry point for the Holy Spirit. So let's pick it up in verse 12 here in this response that Jesus gives Nicodemus. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The key here for us is verse 14, verse 15 here, as we think about this born-again experience that Jesus is talking about. What's Jesus doing here? He's relating a story about the Israelites rebelling against God in the wilderness. You might think, what's this thing that Jesus has brought into the equation here? What's, how, has this, how has this sort of jumped in? It's a story from the Israelites uh, when Moses was leading them through the wilderness. And they were rebelling against God big time, if you go back and look at that. Numbers of times they actually kept rebelling against God and what he was doing. In this particular time, God sent poisonous snakes upon them as a judgment for their evil, rebellious ways. God instructs Moses as these uh, people are being bitten and some are dying and some are being filled with poison from these snakes. God instructs Moses to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole and to hold up that snake. Now you might think that's really, really crazy. What's going on here? Just hold up a bronze snake on a pole. Now, everybody knows in the natural, in the natural, 
There are no healing powers at all at looking at a bronze snake, is there? In the natural. You hold it up, you, know, you look at this and you'll be healed. Now, if somebody come to us today, we think, this guy's a charlatan, this guy's a fraud. If someone come and say that to us. But here's what God told Moses to do. And what was the purpose of this? God simply wanted them to believe that they would be healed as he did what they told them to do. That through their faith and obedience, looking to God, they would be healed. That's the point there of what Jesus is saying with Nicodemus in that story from uh, the Old Testament. So Jesus says in order to be born again, you must exercise that same belief. Nicodemus, you need to look to the Son of Man. You need to look to me, Jesus, and believe that I am here to bring you into a brand new kingdom. You need to be looking to me to be born again. You need to believe. And that will place you in the position to be born again. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. It's a miraculous work. It's a supernatural work. This is the eternal God coming to live inside of us. And the Spirit has come to to live in us continually being our ongoing helper here in this work of the new birth. And I think sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes it truly does become the forgotten God. Sometimes we even think, don't even go back to think on our conversion or this new birth and just see what a miracle it is. It can easily sometimes become so ho-hum for us. God, what have you done? Why have I allowed it to just become such a low-grade sort of thought about you in this new birth experience? But this is the work that God does in us, and it will vary from person to person in experience. This is the work of uh, regeneration. This is the work of being born again. And it's a supernatural work of God's grace towards us. And we keep receiving, we receive this gift by looking to Jesus, and we keep growing in this gift of the new birth, uh, moment by moment, through Christ and all of his work in us. And guys, this is what we will unpack over these next few weeks. It starts with the new birth. It starts with this supernatural work that God has done within us, but then it's an ongoing work that he continues to do in reshaping us and uh, remoulding us in his image. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today as we just uh, reflect and think upon uh, your work at conversion and the new birth experience, Lord, where you've come and you've taken us from uh, death to life, from uh, darkness to light. Uh, Lord, today I pray that you'll help us to see that this is a miracle that you have affected within us. And Lord, for today, for those who've struggled with this, with this experience, looking upon other people and thinking, why couldn't I have the same experience they had? God, help us to just trust and know that you have led us into exactly what is required for our lives. That Lord, it may be that quiet moment by moment, week by week experience. But I pray, God, that we will just be grateful and thankful that you've led us into that. Lord, for those who perhaps never have experienced that before, I pray, God, that you would uh, open their eyes and their hearts up now to what Jesus has said to Nicodemus. Look to the Son of Man and believe. Look to the Son of Man and believe that he has come to rescue and to save. Lord, even as I think about Horatio Spafford writing that song, where did that strength and that power come from? Father, that come from the new birth. That peace he had to be sitting in that ship at the very point where his four daughters were lying at the bottom of that ocean. He could say there is peace 
in my soul and it is well with my soul. How did that happen? Because Jesus, you died on the cross and the Spirit came upon him in the new birth to reveal that peace. May we know that peace and may we grow in that peace through your work in us today, Holy Spirit, I pray. Father, I ask that and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Megan, if you could come and just uh, lead us around the Lord's table as we just reflect upon uh, God's work in us by Spirit. Can I have two guys uh, grab the... uh, Alec, can you grab it, mate? And Tommy, can you do it as well, thanks? Yeah, that one there. In the passage that Todd um, just spoke from, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So let's pray together as we um, approach communion. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness but in your great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear son Jesus Christ and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. God is steadfast in love and infinite in mercy, and he welcomes sinners to the Lord's table. So I'm going to leave a minute of quiet and just ask you to uh, confess your sins to God in that quietness. carrying with you faith and confident of God's forgiveness. Then let's pray together again. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words and 
in what we have done and in what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we are the body of Christ and we have been born into newness of life. Let's take the elements, the body and blood of Christ in remembrance that he died for us and let's feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Most loving God, you send us into the world you love. Give us grace to go thankfully and with courage in the power of your spirit. Amen. Great. Thanks, Megan. uh, We are born into a new family. It's uh, a great privilege through the new birth experience. Um, just before we wrap up, it's, uh, any questions or thoughts on today's talk? Was that an applause? <laughs> no worries, thank you. And look, thanks last week for a bit of a marathon effort too. We went through that uh, marriage discussion for a long time, so I really appreciate you um, hanging in there. So P- Pete and Barb would, would be happy to share with you their experience too last night if you want to ask any more questions re-marriage um, and things there. So... Thank you, church. Thanks for gathering together. Please uh, stay with us now for some uh, coffee and cake. And uh, if anybody would like to see me about anything else, I'm happy to see and love to see you about anything and pray with you. Thanks.